So at this time, we'll let our children go to Children's Church. Amen. Thank you, Lord. just to pray for our pastor and sister Debbie as they've they've been just a little busy and uh, we know they're pulled in a lot of directions and we just pray God's peace and strength on as pastor comes to give us a word this morning oh we haven't been that busy I joked around with Debbie that uh it wasn't a joke. I said, I think we, I got my first eight hours of sleep in like, I, I don't know, just two weeks or so. So I was very thankful for that last night. Um, I welcome everybody online. If my son and daughter-in-law were to happen to look back and see this, don't take offense to this, but I don't really want to live with my kids. I'm okay with my kids living with me, but right now we're in one of their rooms, and uh, I'm working hard to get out of that. So uh, that uh, that's funny, but it's just very serious. Um, but uh, we we are very thankful that they opened their home and said, "Hey, y'all come stay with us." Uh, I could just eat everything in their pantry, I guess, not be bothered. They eat everything out of mine when they come to the house. But there's just so many parts about living with your kids, guys. I mean, there's just so many parts about this. You just go, oh, you know. Want to do this, you know? So, so I woke up this morning about six and thought to myself, man. So I, I figured out how they make coffee and made me some coffee and just, you know. So there's just a lot. There's just a lot. We did close on our house Friday. We got moved out by Saturday at ten thirty. So we're 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 we're, we're past that stage. Um, I, I, by the way, I had a great um, uh, district council in Huntsville. I left Sunday afternoon. Had a great event through the week and got back uh, and started Thursday morning moving and packing, finishing up, closed Friday, finished moving everything out by yesterday uh, morning, went and looked at the house that we received uh, an offer on and we signed a contract here in Mount Olive, so we're very excited about that. So, so um, we're, just, we're just busy, just a lot going on uh, and uh, just appreciate the prayers. We we, we we can't get enough prayer right now. I asked Debbie, I, I, I need prayer because I'll be real short at times. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You know, you just get tired. You, just, huh. you know, one of those kind of things. And so, I had, I, you know, uh, and actually I'm talking about how Debbie gets whenever she gets tired. <laughs> yeah, I'm just kidding. But, uh, but the Lord's good. We're so thankful for everything that we've been able to be a part of. And uh, just excited, man. Listen, at the pace we're moving right now, if we keep doing this, I mean, we're going to be good for about two and a half years. So uh, uh, if it'll slow down a little bit, we think we got 10 in us. But uh, we, need, we, 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 we are excited. We think that it will slow a little bit when we get on this side. Uh, last week, so I want to get right into the word. I just want to, I, I, you know, I, I want to get into what we were looking at, taking a step further from last week. So I, I want to remind you of some of the thought last week. 
to go into this week because I think it's important as we're building this thought that we see and be reminded of sort of where we were at last week. So last week we took a question from the scripture, and it was a question that was asked uh, by Jesus, and he, he, he raised this question because uh, I think it's important that we sort of settle this in ourselves, and the question was, what is it you want? You know, what are you requesting? What is it you want? What, 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 what's, what's the desire in you? What's the longing in you? What is the purpose in this moment? Uh, and I think there's a, it's important that we think about that because when we talked about it last week, we said that there are six levels of closeness in relationship that we see in Jesus' ministry on earth. And those six levels went from the first one we talked about, which was the crowd that followed him. And we talked about how the crowd, their whole thing is observation. They just want to stand at a distance and watch. Let me see what this is about. Let me see what's going on. And let me decide what I want to do with that. You know, so Jesus asks this question, and it affects everyone that are that's in the circles of relationships. So that first level is real, real. I mean, you you can actually follow Jesus and not be a, in relationship with Christ. Amen. Because you're out there, you're out there just watching at a distance. The second level was the five thousand we talked about. And the 5,000 being that little bit smaller group than the crowd and, and recognizably what makes the 5,000 is that they were there for the provision. They were there because they wanted their needs met. They were following because of the miraculous signs we'll see in John 6 in just a minute. They were following because they saw and recognized that Jesus was unique and in his the uniqueness that God had anointed him to do some miraculous things and they were like dude I need this I want this so it was about their needs being met the next group is the 70 we know that the 70 moved from a place where they were just observing to participating so they moved from a place of observation standing out here watching to a place of participation I want to do this I want to be involved in it and I believe that in the 5,000 to the 70, there is a clear transition that takes place there where it looks like there's relationship that's really focused now. That they really felt like Jesus loved them and they wanted to love him and they began a relationship with him. The unique thing about them is it was about ministry. So they moved from observing at a distance to participating in ministry. They were sent out, you remember? They were sent out given instructions on how to do ministry. They moved into a relationship with Christ where they could receive his teachings and begin to practice those teachings. The next few I mention are the 12, which was the fourth clo uh, level of closeness. They, were, they had gotten close. These 12 were what we call and know as the disciples. They were the ones who had come to the place that they recognized and realized there was this... this um, this thing happening around them, and they wanted to be such a part of it that they would, they, they, had, they, they would literally throw their nets down if they were fishermen and follow. So the, the, what, what marked them was that they had left this place that they were at and began to follow from a place of surrender. They, they surrendered everything to Jesus. And to be a disciple, you got to surrender. You got to surrender. Whatever it is that you that you have, whatever it is that 
he give it to you or that you practice. You surrender it to him. Then there's the three. The three were unique in that they moved from a place of surrender to a place that we've talked about and we see in their lives. And it sort of highlights in Scripture that they it was it, they moved into a place of, of of suffering and glory. So they were willing to suffer for Jesus. They lay it, not only lay it all down; they lay their life down for Him. Um, then there was the one. That's the closest point. That's the center of the circle of, of relationships. That's the center of the closeness that you can. The one. Do you know that the one followed Jesus to a place no other person, no other disciple, no other follower followed him to? And that was what we defined as a place called closeness, the closest place. What is the closest place? It's that place where you can lay your head down on his chest and you can just rest in him. It's that place where you just know he's with you and you're with him. And you just look at the devil and go... So, we said last week, while salvation is an unconditional gift of God's grace, closeness or intimacy with God, as we called it, requires relentless pursuit. Look, I'm saved and I know it and I say amen to that. But I'm telling you, to get to the center, I have to pursue it. I mean, it's relentless. I have to wake up in pursuit of God. I have to go to bed in pursuit of God. I have to walk through the day in pursuit of God. I have to be aware that he's with me. I have to be aware that he is drawing me and he's coming. He says, if you'll draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. So I have to constantly be, be in mind of the fact that God is there, that he is active, that there's no place I go. There's no place planned tomorrow that he's not already in. So Jesus asked, what is it you want? Matthew 20, 21. We're going to pick another question up today from John 6. We can find it in Old and New Testament. It's this question. What is that in your hand? What is that in your hand? So I, I, I'm going to ask this question. Um, it's about as simple as last week. It's just as telling when it comes to our closest in relationship, the level of closest in relationship that we have with him. When he asks us, what's that in your hand? Whatever we think about what it is that he has blessed us with, given us what he is, what, what is ours, and, and what are we going to do with it, basically. Amen? What, what am I going to do with what he's given me? What, what, I, what am I doing with what's in my hand? Um, I, I'm asking you this question with a focus on the, on, on the words of Jesus from John 6. We're going to look at that. We'll also look at Exodus 4. I'll go there in just a minute. Um, these both thoughts are in the Old and New Testament. This, 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 this idea, this thought, the exact question comes from Exodus 4. Um, why this focus? So why the focus on this if we're talking about the closest in relationship? I, I think it's important because it helps us understand God's call to come closer. He's wanting us closer. He's drawing us closer. He gave Jesus his only son to get us closer. Amen? And so... John 6 contains the feeding of the 5,000. So these were the ones we know that aren't just following at a distance. The 5,000, were they were the ones who were there for the provision. So they got inside the circle. They went from out here around the perimeter to the next level in. So they were there for the provision. They were there because they need their needs met. They, were, they, they believed God could help them. 
but it highlights some challenge to us because there's a challenge to come closer. It's a challenge to come closer to God. It's a challenge. At best, it's a challenge. At worst, it's an all-out war to get close because the devil don't want you close. You got friends don't want you close. You got family don't want you close. You got yourself to deal with that don't want to get any closer at times. Amen? So listen, here's the thought. I'm going to lay out a little bit of the background right here for John chapter 6. Uh, we know that there had been a windfall of miracles that were taking place in Jesus' ministry. He was just doing, just, just, just performing, just, just, I mean, just things happening. God just flowing through him, the power of God touching people. Supernatural events were taking place. And the 12, the 12, which was a couple of circles closer in, the 12, which uh, as that inner circle of closest relationship with Jesus had watched Jesus, they had, they had helped Jesus, they were surrendered to Jesus, had this one thing on their mind. Had, they were in this moment in John 6, and here was the thing that was on their mind. Boy, I'm so guilty of this one. More than the eyes being opened, more than the lame walking, more than the, more, more than the, 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 um, uh, uh, the deaf hearing, more than all that, they were captivated by this thought, it seems like. I'm starving to death. What are we going to do, Jesus? We're out here in the middle of nowhere. Because it's clear in the scripture, when Jesus wanted to get alone, you read John 6, you see that he was in a moment where he needed to get alone. So he was headed to get alone. But the crowd wouldn't let him get alone. They were following him because they had seen him doing the miracles. They, and the 5,000 were even closer because they had moved out of the crowd into that next circle because they thought, I got this need and I believe he can meet it. And so they were in this moment. And the disciples were right around him going, you see him out there? You know, they say don't eat until your stomach growls. Mine has been roaring now for about an hour and a half. I got a house up. And so they were in this moment. They were battling. They were struggling, you know. And then all this 5,000 was around. Oh, God, what are we going to do? We're so far away. We, what, what can we do? And verse, verse 6 just sort of gets you where we're at right here. Verse, verse 5, I'm sorry. It's not going to come up. I, I'll start at 7. I'm just going to give you this quote from verse 5, verse 5 of chapter 6 in John. Where can we buy food enough to feed all these people? So that was basically evangel realizing Mount Olive is starving, Butch. we got to come up with some food for them. What are we going to do? Where can we buy enough food for all of Mount Olive? And it'd be like me saying that up here this morning, and right after service, the board coming to me and saying, "We, I mean, we ain't going. There's no way we can feed them, right?" Here's the unique thing about this moment. When he asked Philip that, I paraphrased that statement: "Where can we buy food enough to feed all these people with? What's that in your hand?" He was looking at those guys, those 12, and saying, what you, what you got in your hand? What you got? What you got? Show me what you got. Show me what you got. Amen. Show me what you got. Show me what's in your hand. And, and, and the scripture says that it was actually a test that he is putting Philip through. How I many of y'all like God testing? No, no. None of us like to be tested. That's why we quit school. 
or we got through with school and went, thank God I don't want to ever go back there again because we don't like tests. But there's other tests. You know, I mean, you can go to school and get tested. You can, go, you can go to life and get tested. You can go home and get tested. Amen? The scripture goes on and says, though, because he already knew what he was going to do. So I, it's bad enough that he tested it, Philip, but it's even more um, revealing that it was a test because he already knew the answer. He already knew what he was going to do. Just He just wanted to see what they would do. How many of y'all know God already knows what he's got planned? I mean, he's working it. I mean, we're, 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 we're in the throes of it and wondering how, God, will we ever survive this? And he's going, I got this. I already have a plan out there. I'm fixing to make it happen. Verse 7 through 11, listen to what it says here. Philip replied, even if we work for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? Verse 10, tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. Then the men, uh, I'm sorry, the men alone numbered 5,000, which is good to point out that there was a lot more than 5,000 there. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish, and they all ate as much as they wanted. So it wasn't just a quick fix. It was a feast. It wasn't just a hey, we're going to get you enough to get you to the next town, then you need to figure out what you're going to do. It was a buffet. Say amen to a buffet, guys. Amen. I could ask my middle son tonight, today, I could go to him and say, Michael, where do you want to go eat? And he'd say, Golden Corral. You say, really? Yes. Why? Because there's a buffet. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The buffet. Buffets. We love buffets. I actually went yesterday evening with Doug to eat at a place because uh, I was over here starving to death like usual. And he felt sorry for me. And he took me to a place. And he was kind. He fed me a beautiful, great meal. But there was a buffet there. And I was longing for the fish and the shrimp on the buffet. No, no, I wasn't. I, but there was a buffet. It wasn't quite open yet, I don't think. But there was a buffet. There was a buffet. Buffets draw us. Buffets attract. Why? Because we're always hungry. Usually. Matter of fact, let's think about that for just a second. I believe this passage is about what happens when we give God what we have in our hands. But I believe there's more to it. Think about that. Here's, here's, here's a thought about this whole situation. They're out in the middle of the wilderness. Jesus is... They're, they're, he didn't lead them there. They followed him there because he's trying to get away from them, and they follow him. So he keeps doing the miracles, keeps doing the ministry, and keeps doing this, all this stuff. And, and all of a sudden, they realize, well, these people are starving dead. You send them home, Jesus, because we need something to eat. Well, what do you have? What do you have? What, what can, where can we get by enough food? Where can we buy enough food to feed all of them? He already knew what he was going to do. And so these things are pointed out about the little boy and the fish, and he blesses it, and it feeds everybody. It's a buffet-style thing. Here's the thought. What's one of the hardest things to do to get what's one of the hardest things to get a sick person to do? 
peace. So here's another thought. All these people have been following, they've been getting their needs met, so most of them were probably healthy because Jesus is just ministering and pouring life out and health out and healing to them. So what, what does that mean? They were all hungry. So I'm just giving you a picture of the size of demand that was in this moment, the size of demand for resources that were in this moment right here. They had followed Jesus when he was trying to get along. Jesus typically went to the wilderness to get along. So they were out in this far place with him without food, hungry, and honestly, uh, what would you have done if you were the little boy? So I'm up, I put my feet in the shoes of the little, the sandals of the little boy. I'm trying to think like he'd think from my perspective, from me. Honestly, if I was a little boy, disciple walked up and asked me for food, I'd probably done what I do with the McDonald's drive-thru, honey. It's not good, is it? Because I say, said this early in our marriage, after the first pack of fries had to be shared with Debbie, when she said in the drive-thru, I don't want anything. The next round through the drive-thru, the statement was made. If you knew, if you want some, you need to order some. Why? Because I want all my fries. Quit punching Randy over there, okay? I want all my fries. I want all my fries. I'll order a large one. But give me a heads up. I need to know you're going to eat some of my fries. It's not, it's not that I don't like sharing. It's just a limited resource in that bag. I haven't figured out how to pray over it and multiply. I know how to order extra in the drive-thru. I'm preaching to somebody this morning. But this little guy, so here I am thinking of this. This little guy was the essence of a Christ follower. He surrendered what was in his hands. Maybe, maybe he'd been raised. Maybe he'd been healed and he wanted to give Jesus his lunch. Maybe he had been following close because he kept thinking, he'll get hungry and when he does, I'll give him what I have. I, I don't believe he had any idea what Jesus was going to do with him. I don't believe any of us have any idea what God will do with what we have in our hand when we give it to him. He probably thought Jesus was going to eat it himself because he was excited about it. Oh, Jesus ate my fish and loaves. And since Jesus has ministered to him probably because he was in the crowd, he had heard stuff, he had seen stuff, it's only right to help Jesus. He'd probably been raised like this. He'd probably been taught to share when the opportunity arose, he was quick to respond. And that's where the question comes from. What's in your hand? What's that you have? In Exodus 4, when Moses was cruelly about how he was going to obey God, this question pops up. Exodus 4, 2. Then the Lord asked him, talking about Moses, what is that in your hand? A shepherd's staff, Moses said. A shepherd's staff. A shepherd's staff. A simple, long, sturdy stick. Most of them had a curve on the end of it. The, 
I mean, what happened when Moses put this simple shepherd's staff into the hands of God is the rest of the story. As a matter of fact, before placing the staff into God's hands, it, it was used to fend off predators, probably to beat a path down through thick stuff, and to steady whenever he was walking in rough terrain. Or even when he was tired, it became sort of a leaning post, something to lean on, rest on, that's the word I'm looking for. But after giving it to God, it devoured sorcerous serpents. It led God's people out of bondage. It parted a pathway through a sea. It drew water out of a rock. <laughs> you know, why this little boy's love? Jesus could have turned stone into bread. We know that. He could have called fish to rain out of the sky. Come on. I mean, if he can throw quail out of the sky, he can throw fish out of the sky, can't he? Come on, he can do it. Why, why this little boy's love? He could have made something out of nothing, anytime, anywhere. Why this little boy's love? John 6, 5 again said, for he already knew what he was going to do. I'm going to tell you why. I'll tell you why I believe it. I believe Jesus had us in mind at this moment. You say, well, I don't have fish and loaves. I, 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 don't, I don't understand what you're talking about. I believe he wanted to take something from this boy's hand and let us see what happens when we surrender what we have to him. I, wanted, I think he wanted us to understand that he can take what you think is nothing and turn it into the miraculous. I think he wants us to understand and to see that God will bless what's in your hand if you'll surrender it into his. I mean, what is that in your hand? Give it to him. Intentionally give it to Jesus. <laughs> so I, I, I've been praying, and I, I'm going to give you what I think is a word for someone this morning. This is, this is what I heard. Put what you have in God's hand, and you'll no longer have a possession. You'll have a ministry. Put what you have in your hands, and you'll no longer have a possession. Because that's what we have. We have possessions. We have things that we've been given that we use for ourselves so often. But take, take it and put it in God's hands and see what he does. You say, well, then it's his. Yeah, yeah, and so it turns into something he gives back to you for ministry, something that he places back into your hands so that you can do what he's intended to do. Mm. Y'all need to let that set in just a second. You're sitting here hearing this message saying, I don't have anything for God. I don't have anything I can give him. I don't have anything. Wait a minute. So unlike me and Debbie, if you have a house, fill it with people. Fill it with people who need hospitality, who need loving on. Yeah, if you have children, shape them to be men and women of God. Start now. Don't wait. If you have income, Honor God with the first fruits of it and see if he won't multiply it. And then you can give more and then you can do more and he can use it more. Your money is not your possession. It is his given to you for ministry. You have a voice. 
speak graciously. If, if you have feet, go hands, touch, talent, surrender, skills, and rich. We could go through a whole list of things that we all have. We have something. You have something that he's, that's in your hands, something that is your possession. And he wants you to give. He wants you to surrender. Hear me. When you surrender, the further out of the crowd you're drawn and the closer to Jesus you get. So you're moving from observation to needs met. And you're moving from needs met to participation in ministry. And he's trying to draw you from just ministry to a place of surrender. And from just a place of surrender to a place of his of suffering and glory from his power and presence being evident and flowing through your life to the point that you're so close to him that you you're unique to one there's plenty of room for us all to be the one to be Jesus to the people around us okay I'm going to do a couple of things right here in thought. Based out of this verse and based out of this thought and based out of the idea that Jesus takes this bread and takes these fish and he multiplies them. He takes what's in this little boy's hand and he uses it to do all this. And then he, man, I, I'm, I, this isn't going to come up on the screen. I'm going to read a little, another little passage in verses 12, verse 12 and, 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 and 13, uh, I believe, or, the, or, or go on and say this. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. You know, he doesn't want anything to be wasted. He doesn't want anything. To, so if he's giving you something, he wants to use that, and he's calling you closer to him so that he can use that, and it won't go to waste. And you say, well, but it's nothing. It's nothing to you. It's something to him. They could have walked away from all that stuff. But they didn't. Why? Because they didn't want nothing wasted. Jesus didn't want nothing wasted. He doesn't he want anything wasted. Let, let me show you something about the bread right quick. There's four things Jesus consistently did with bread. You ready? Okay. Four things he consistently did with bread. He took it. He blessed it. He broke it. And he gave it. Constantly. Always. When you look at Jesus in relationship to bread, he would take it, he'd bless it, he'd break it, and then he'd give it. He'd, he'd give it. John, I mean, uh, Luke 9, 16 says, Jesus took the five loaves and fish, looked up to heaven, blessed it, breaking the loaves into pieces. He kept giving the bread and fish to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. Matthew 14, 19, then he told the people to sit down on the grass. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish looked up towards heaven and blessed them. Then, breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to the disciples who distributed to the people. I believe God works this way in our life. I believe he takes us, he blesses us, he breaks us, Will take you and bless you, then break you, 
or should I say he will allow you to be broken? I mean, we want, we want our lives to be all together in the eyes of the world. We don't want to show any brokenness. I mean, we don't want anybody to know all those things about us. Most people don't want you, wouldn't want you to know that they're that, that selfish and greedy about their pride. I mean, come on. I mean, come on. Don't want to tell anybody about that. Well, that's secret. That's at home. You, you just, you'll only know that if you're in the drive-thru in the car with me. And I might not even say it to you if you're a stranger. I, I mean, you know what I'm saying. We don't want people to, we want them to think, oh, we got it all together. Oh, we unbuttoned that. We got it all together. But God wants to serve us in pieces. say that again but God wants to serve us in pieces in broken digestible parts of life deeply dependent on God's strength he wants to serve us through the brokenness of our life in ways that those who see us for who we are what we've gone through for the struggle we've been in for the openness and honesty and transparency that we would present the brokenness of our life that they can receive that and they can gain from it and they can discover that God is who he says he is. <laughs> oh, that's so uncomfortable. The brokenness, the broken experiences we have, according to 2 Corinthians 1.9, happened that we might not rely on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. I mean, I'm not going to tell you, let's pray God break us. We don't have to pray that. You give yourself to God, you're going to go through some brokenness. Why? Because it's in the brokenness that his suffering and his glory is shown. Ah, he breaks us. Not to destroy us. He doesn't want to destroy you. He breaks you to meet the needs of others. He took the fish and loaves blessed it, then broke it so that it could become the miraculous, so that it could become the resource by which every need was met. What's that in your hand? What's that in your hand? We become the bread that Jesus takes, blesses, breaks, and gives. Let's go to back to John 6. This is where the crowd realized Jesus was capable of providing for their needs. They had come to this realization. Verse 2, a huge crowd. They had seen by now this man, Jesus, was everything he said he was. So it says in verse 2, a huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw the miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Verse 14 goes on and says, when the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, Surely he is the prophet we have been expecting. When Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. So they decided, the crowd, <laughs> man, this sounds like politics. The crowd, who was there strictly to watch, decided, oh, 
He's everything we expected. Let's force him to be our king. We're going to make him do what we want him to do so that we get our way. And poof, he was gone. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I can't read nothing into that. How do you slip away from a crowd? How do you do that? I mean, did he have a little outfit he'd throw on? He'd look like a woman and walk away. I, I mean, he's got a beard. It's weird. I mean, that's just, 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 I mean, Larry, I don't get that one. I mean, I mean, what, disciples crowd around him and walk him out like the secret service. That doesn't happen. It's a crowd. It's a crowd. You can't control a crowd. But he disappeared. What point is that in here? Nothing. Just making it. Strange. He can do anything he wants to. Do we try? So here's my thought. I'm, the point is, do we try to force our will or do we surrender to his? Are you here this morning trying to make God do what you want done? Are you willing to give in and surrender what you, who you are, what's in your hand and say, God, whatever comes of that, I'm your servant. That's where the miracle happens. So, 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 folks following Jesus is not taking him where you want him to go, but following him where he wants to go. Surrendering to Jesus and following him, uh, it's, not, it's not forcing his hand, by give, but giving him yours. You're, you're taking his hand. You're letting him lead. You want him. It's not making him fit your image. Man, the church is guilty of that some these days. We won't, we won't make Jesus look like what we want him to look like. When in reality, look, he doesn't conform to our image. We are supposed to conform to his. Be transformed into his. Verse 24 went on and says, When the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, boom, they disappeared. They got into the boats and went across to Capernaum to look for him. Verse 25, they found him on the other side of the lake. That's Rabbi, when did you get here? This is, I'm telling y'all, there's stuff happens in this verse that makes me go, how did they do that? So Jesus disappears out of the crowd in the wilderness because he realized they're going to force him to become king. Next thing you know, down in the verses, they are looking for him, so they take the boat over, and when they get to the other side, they find him over there, and they say, how did you get here? And here's his answer. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, you want to be with me because I feed you. Not because you understand the miraculous signs. So basically it's saying, I'm not going to tell you how I got here because what you want, I'm not going to give you anymore right now anyway. Boy, that's, that makes us uncomfortable. That's a, that's a tough Jesus. We, we want a light, nice Jesus. We want a soft Jesus. We want, we want a gracious Jesus. We don't want the Jesus that come in and flipped all the tables. We want the Jesus who, who didn't say anything. Matter of fact, the Message Bible reads that last verse this way. Jesus answered, You've come looking for me, not because you saw God in my actions, but because I fed you, filled your stomach, and for free. Wow. As followers, we got, we got to be careful to value the provision, but not become consumed. Okay, we got to value the provision. God blesses. He pours blessings out on us. Whenever he takes us, he turns around and blesses us. But we can't let that become the reason. We can't become a consumer. We can't just make it about us. 
Hear me now. So what we get is what we get the only reason we follow. Is what you're getting from Jesus the only reason you're here this morning. I prayed and said, Lord, don't make me ask some of these questions. I just couldn't get away from it. So I say that in all humility and sincerity. I say that as one who's surrendered and doing my best to, to, to get into that center. Why am I here this morning? Am I here because of what I get? Is that the only reason I'm following? Is it all about the provision, the hand of God? Or do we value his presence, his faithfulness, the image of don't get me wrong, we're, we're, we're invited by God to taste and see that the Lord is good. I mean, that's his word, Psalm 34, 8. We're called to his presence. He calls us into his presence to the point that we should have the same attitude as Moses. I have not leaving this place if you don't go with me. But the temptation is to see God as a vending machine full of all these treats, full of all of what we want. Available at any time for the asking. When we don't get it, we blame him. We get mad at him. We stomp and fuss and act like kids. I've seen grown people act like kids this morning. Say amen. Or oh me. I say oh me because I've acted like a kid before. Mercy God, I didn't know you were that way. Let me get to the verse. <laughs> so, so picking back up at the 5,000. Jesus goes to feed the 5,000 to verse 48. I want you, if you've got your Bible, you can turn there. Uh, chapter 6, I'm, I'm going I'm to open over to it. Verse 48, I want to read some passages to you. I'll throw them at you pretty fast, so if you've got your Bible, follow along. I've got them in my notes. I want to, I want to, how many of you know, how many, how many of you know, how many of you heard someone talking and thought to yourself, that's crazy talk. That's just crazy. Amen? How many of y'all done that in the last day? <laughs> no, don't know the last day. <laughs> that's crazy talk. What are they thinking? There's something wrong. They, they can't be that smart. Verse 48. I am the bread of life. Stay with me now. I'm going to get throw some crazy talk at you. Okay, so we just come feeding the 5,000 miraculous stuff. They're ready to force him to become their leader because they, he's everything they expected. He, poof, disappears. They search for him, decide to go to the other side of the lake. There he is with his disciples. They say, where have you been? And his conversation goes from, oh, I'll tell you how I got here, too. You're only here because I'm feeding you. And then it goes to this discussion about the bread of life. So, and what do we, what did Jesus do with bread? Jesus took it, blessed it, broke it, and gave it. I am the bread of life. Took it, blessed it, broke it, gave it. 
I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven, however, I mean, I'm the living, living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever, and this bread, which I will offer so the world may live, is my flesh. What? Wait a minute. Get him some food. He's having a sugar loaf. Get some food. He's talking out of his head. Get some food. Come on. Are you okay, Jesus? Are you okay? We're not going to eat your flesh. What are you talking about? Verse 53. So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person at the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the, ma the manna, but will live forever. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the response of the crowd as they heard this? They finally find Jesus on the other side of the lake. They question how he got there, and he goes into this, dis this discourse about how he's taken and he's blessed and he's broken and he's given his life for them. And they're going, this is crazy, guys. Jesus flips the card on them, speaks such harsh words that it became a dividing point among the twelve. So here they were. They, the crowd was there. They'd found Jesus. The 5,000 had been having their needs met. They discovered and find Jesus there's this 70 that's been doing ministry. They've been participating. There's this 12 that are in this surrendered state before him. And all this talk goes on in verse 61 says, Many among his disciples heard this and said, This is tough teaching. Who cussed this guy? Some folks just can't eat the bread. You may be in a spot this morning, it's sort of hard to swallow Jesus. You may be watching from online, you may, you may be having a hard time swallowing this Jesus. Swallowing this truth about the true bread, about the, 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 the brokenness that, that is required to, for us to go through, to be used by God, to be multiplied, to meet, and to do the miraculous. In the earliest years of the church, the Romans hated Christians. You say, yeah, they were trying to turn their empire over. No, no. More than that, they had rumored cannibalism among them, the Christian community. Why? Well, they talk about eating flesh and drinking blood. Come on, somebody. I won't be a part of that again. That's crazy talk. So when God starts the crazy, this crazy talk, it requires the greatest miracle of all for us. And that's the miracle of faith. That's the miracle of belief that what he said he'll do in his day, in his time, the way he does it. 
And no matter what we have to go through, it'll be worth it. I'm going to read verses 60 through 67 to you. I don't think it'll come up on the screen. It doesn't have to. The Message Bible just says this. Many among his disciples heard this and said, this is tough teaching, too tough to swallow. Jesus sensed the disciples were having a hard time with this. <laughs> you think? You think as they were backing up? They <laughs> where are you guys going? And said, does this throw you completely? This is the Message Bible, by the way. Don't get nervous. Does this throw you completely? What would happen if you saw the Son of Man ascending to where he came from? The Spirit can make life. Sheer muscle and willpower don't make anything happen. Every word I've spoken to you is spirit word, and so it is life-making. But some of you are resisting, refusing to have any part in this. And then it goes into parentheses. Jesus knew from the start that some weren't going to risk themselves with him. He knew from the start that some of those 70 would never get into the 12, that some of those 5,000 would never get into the 70, and that some of the crowd would never get into the 5,000. He even knew that some of the 12 would never get to the 3. He went on to say, this is why I told you earlier that no one is capable of coming to me on his own. You get to me only as a gift from the Father. After this, a lot of his disciples left him. They no longer wanted to be associated with him. Barry, can you come up here? He went from offering them what they wanted to offering them what they truly needed. And they refused. God offers you what you want, but it's to draw you closer, to give you what you truly need. He offers those around you what they want in you, through you, broken pieces of your life but not just so that they can revel over your demise, but so that they can be drawn a little closer to him and discover who he really is so that their real need, their real need, which is to know him, to understand him, to get to the center, we'll give you another verse. Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live by what? Bread alone. No, the scripture says people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Every word that comes from the mouth of God. God wants to breathe a word into you this morning. He wants to take what you have in your hand, and he wants to breathe life into you. Some of you have some broken stuff, broken places, broken people. And you didn't think God was involved in that at all. But because you've surrendered to him, he took you and he's blessed you. And now he wants to take that brokenness, he bro he, that, those places that he allowed to be broken, he wants to take that. 
and he wants to use it for his glory. He wants to use it. What's, what's that in your hand? What is that? What, what is that? I'm going to give you a quick thought right quick. A quick thought right quick. Sorry. We've heard the word rhema. A rhema word. A rhema. If you haven't, I'm going to tell you what that is. That's, that's a strategic personal application. A strategic, now you think about this, a strategic personal application from God's word to your life, in your life. A rhema word is when God gives you this word and it applies to your life that you can, boom, you can, it, it's alive, it's ready, it's working. F.F. Bruce made this statement about it. <laughs> to me anyway. Rhema is that, in, that utterance of God appropriate to the occasion which the Spirit puts into the believer's hand to be wielded as a sword which will put their spiritual assailant to flight. So it's it's the word that becomes a sword in the spirit that dwells in you. And it's a rhema word. It's a word for now. It's a word that has strategic, personal application. If you need a rhema word, if you need a word from God that will put your spiritual assailant to flight, I'm telling you, God has that word. I believe he has that word. I believe you've got to give what's in your hand to take what he has. What's that set? You've got to give what's in your hand to receive what's in your hand. You've got something you need to give him so that you can receive something from him. That's strategic, personal, I want to invite you in the altar. I want us to pray. I want us to ask God. I want you to bring it to him like this. I want you to come up and stand in the altar. I want you to open your hands up and say, Lord, I surrender this. I surrender. I don't know what it is. I'm not telling you what it is. I don't know. You know. I don't need to know. He knows. He's calling me. He's saying, I want you to surrender that to me. Get into this next circle. Get into this next level of closeness. Come on and bring it to him right now. Come on. If you're here and that's something you've got, get up and walk this altar and let it go. Open your hands up in front of you.
to take us and to bless us and to take the brokenness of our lives and to give it out and use it for the glory and the honor of the living God. Our whole reason for being here today, Lord, is that we become a source of life to those around us. That we can take who Jesus is and we can give it to those around us. Oh God, receive this, receive what's in our hands today, Lord, and speak a word to us. Speak a word to us individually. Speak a word to us personally. In Jesus' name, I want you to ask him to speak to you now. If you've brought, if you're online, you just stand right where you are and just close your eyes and open your hands before God and say, Lord, I surrender. Would you speak a word to me? Would you give me some direction? Would you help me to apply what's going on in my life in a personal way that shows that you're in control, that reveals your presence, God, because it's your face that I seek, not your provision. It's your face that I long for. It's a word from you, Lord, that gives me life and substance. Oh, Jesus. Spirit of the living God, here to please you. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. We welcome you in this place. We welcome you in this place. I don't want to do anything to manipulate anything to do with the kingdom of God and the spirit of God. But the Lord has a word that he's given you that's for this body. We want to give something. You have something. We're going to pause just for a second. We're going to, in order that, give the spirit an opportunity to speak to you. If you have something that he's dropped in your spirit, it's, it's appropriate that you're speaking into this atmosphere. in your hands what's in your hands speak it he's wanting to use you right now believe in my spirit there's a word for you
Let's put our hands back on the ground and fold them out. Lord, we let go of what's ours. We let go of those things that we have been given from you, by you, that we've mistaken as our possession. They don't belong to us. We bring them to you. We surrender them to you, Lord. I surrender my life to you afresh. I surrender my family and my relationship with them. I surrender this ministry to you. I surrender my relationships outside of it to you. I surrender every dime that I have. I surrender the future of my life to you, Lord. God, we give it all to you. We let it go. And we receive it back as a ministry. We receive it back from you. With a personal responsibility to let your light so shine through those things that you have given us that people will see it, they'll glorify the Father who is in heaven. So what's in our hands? You are. And we embrace you and your presence. We embrace you and your power. We embrace you, Lord. For you are the one that we're after. You're the one we're trying to get close to. Do with us as you will. Deliver us as you just promised from the enemy who's after us. As we lift up the staff, we lift it high. We lift that that's in our hand before you to do what you would with it. In Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. Can we give the Lord a shout of praise? Hallelujah. We bless you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. You are worthy of the highest praise, Lord. We worship and magnify your name. Above all things, Lord, we magnify your name. Glory and honor and power and praise to you in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Say amen. Find somebody to love on them.